I again want to read for, from us, uh, for us from the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verses 10 through 13. Here again, God's word to us. For it was fitting for him, for whom all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Father, your Son is the greater Enoch and the greater Elijah. He has entered into heaven upon the the glory cloud, upon the chariot of heaven. Father, he has been seated now at your right hand in glory, reigning over all. Father, today may we see his work from heaven. May we see how he is working all things together for the good of your people. How he is interceding for us. Indeed, how he is mediating for us so that we can enter into your heavenly sanctuary as well. So that we can ascend in glory. Father, show us these things in the ascended Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Jesus Christ has ascended into heaven. Jesus Christ is now seated at the right hand of his Father in heaven. Jesus is the ascended King. And we are gathered here this evening to celebrate his ascension into heaven. But what is he doing there? What is he doing in heaven? It's not as if Jesus has gone into some kind of cosmic retirement uh, and there's no work left for him to do. No, he is working from the Father's right hand in heaven. When we gather to celebrate Ascension Day, we are confessing the truth of what Jesus said. We're confessing we agree with Jesus that it was good for him to go away. But why? What what is he doing for us? Why was it good for him to go away and to enter into heaven on our behalf? Well, certainly one thing he is doing is he is reigning. He is ruling over all as King of kings and Lord of lords. He ascended to a throne. After all, he is seated as a king. His ascension is his coronation. And now all authority in heaven and on earth is his. He has total dominion. He holds the world in his hands. He is overseeing and directing history for the sake of his church from the Father's right hand. The ascension means he is king of kings and lord of lords. But that's not all. Another thing he does since his ascension is he intercedes for us. He acts as our great high priest. Hebrews 7 says he ever lives to make intercession on our behalf. He's able to save us to the uttermost because he is making intercession for us. He appears on our behalf as our representative, as the one who was crucified for our sins so that now we can be fully assured of our forgiveness and our salvation. He's at the Father's right hand praying for us, pleading for us, defending us, mediating for us. Yes, we have a friend in high places. Christ is our heavenly intercessor. He has ascended to intercede for us, to apply what he accomplished on the cross. But there's another role he plays as the ascended Lord. There's another role he plays as the great high priest who has taken his seat on the throne in heaven. A role that often gets overlooked, but it's absolutely crucial. 
It's there in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 12 especially. It's highlighted in other places, but we especially want to focus on it here. The ascended Jesus is our worship leader. He leads us in worship. As the ascended Lord, He is our great high priest and He is the chief liturgist of the people of God. He is the one who conducts our worship. Indeed, our worship of God is simply a sharing in His worship before the Father. As our ascended high priest, He leads us into God's presence in the heavenly sanctuary. And He is the preacher and choir master of the people of God. Look at this in Hebrews 2 and you will see this. Verse 11 stresses His oneness with us, His solidarity with His people. He who is sanctified, or He who sanctifies... So that's Christ. He's the one who sanctifies. He who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified. So that would be us. We're in this process of sanctification are all one. And so he is not ashamed to call us his brothers. We see here that Christ identifies with us everything he has done from his suffering to his exaltation. It's all for us. We are one with him and he is one with us in all of it. And then in verse 12, there's a quotation from Psalm 22. Uh, We know that from the cross, uh, on the cross, Jesus quoted the beginning of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But now a line from the end of Psalm 22 is put on the lips of Jesus. He says, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praises to you. So Psalm 22 is a psalm of David. And yet Jesus in some way pre-prayed it and pre-sung it through David so that these words could be taken up by him when the time was right. And we see when that time is. It's now from his perch as the ascended Lord. This is when these words are coming to fulfillment. The Holy Spirit gave these words to David so that Jesus could bring them to fulfillment as the greater David at the right time. Jesus on the cross used the beginning of Psalm 22. The ascended Jesus uses the ending of Psalm 22. On the cross, Jesus spoke the part of Psalm 22 that describes his aloneness, his anguish, his forsakenness on the cross. But now at the right hand of God in heaven, he uses the rest of Psalm 22 to celebrate his victory, to call on all his people to join him in giving praise to God. He's not alone anymore. He's in the midst of the assembly. He's gathered with his people. And he's not crying out in pain anymore. He's lifting his voice to declare God's name, to bring praise to God. He's preaching God's name to the congregation. And he says in the assembly, I will sing praise to you. He is leading his people in song. He is the song leader of the people of God. Hebrews 2 shows us the ascended Jesus leading the church in worship. Which means he delivers the Father's message to us as he comes from the Father to speak the Father's word to us. But it also means he delivers our praises to the Father. He moves from us towards the Father in praise so that our praise is made acceptable to the Father. Let's look at each of these lines from Psalm 22 in a little more detail. Two lines are quoted. They're both important in their own right. The first line says he declares the Father's name in the midst of the assembly. How does he declare the Father's name to us? This is the teaching ministry of Jesus. Certainly during his earthly ministry, Jesus had a prominent teaching ministry. Teaching was very prominent in his earthly ministry. But it didn't end when he ascended into heaven. 
He continues to be our teacher. He continues to teach us from heaven. Consider here what he does, uh, how this works. I think it's very interesting to consider the book of Acts, what uh, Luke does in Acts. At the beginning of Acts, which is Luke's second volume, of course, following up on his gospel, Luke says, in the former account, so that would be a reference to his gospel, the first volume, the book of Luke, I recorded all that Jesus began to do and teach until he was taken up to heaven. In other words, the implication is, in the book of Acts, Luke will record what Jesus continued to do and teach, but now from heaven, now from this position of exalted glory. And so, for example, uh, the New Testament, which was written after Jesus' ascension, is just as completely and fully the word of Jesus, the word of God, as those things he declared verbally while on earth. You cannot pit the teaching of Jesus in his earthly ministry against that of his apostles in the New Testament, in the Scriptures. The New Testament shares the same authority as Jesus' spoken words. It's those words he spoke during his earthly ministry. The ascended Jesus authored the New Testament through his apostles. He began to teach during his earthly ministry. He continues to teach from heaven. And so when Scripture is read and preached, the ascended Christ is declaring God's name in our midst. He's declaring God's name among us. He's continuing to do and to teach. Jesus speaks through his servants. The ministry of the word in the context of the congregation is Christ's own ministry to us. Christ proclaims God's name to us. And of course, God's name is the summation of who he is and all he's done. This is what Christ proclaims in our midst. He proclaims God's name to us in scripture and in sermon. Of course, scripture is Christ's infallible word to us. But insofar as preachers and teachers are faithful to scripture, insofar as their voices echo his voice, their word is Christ's word to us as well. Christ proclaims God's name to us in the midst of the assembly through his preachers. The sermon itself is an act of God. It's an act of Christ. He is proclaiming God's name with power in our midst. But then turn to the second line from Psalm 22 that is quoted here, where he leads us in song. How does Christ lead us in song? Here the movement is in the other direction. In the proclamation of the word, Christ comes to us as the Father's messenger. Indeed, he comes to us as the Father's message. It's a downward action. He moves from the Father towards us. But now, in song, it goes the other way. Now Christ carries our response of sung thanksgiving and praise upward to the Father. He carries our praises up to the Father. It's interesting how in much of the second half of Psalm 22... You find this very one who had suffered is now vindicated and calls on his people. He calls on others to join with him in praising God. And that's really what this is all about. Christ shows his solidarity with us. We follow him as our forerunner as we join him in song. And yes, if you read the last part of Psalm 22, you find this happening. You find a congregation drawn from all the nations of the earth, from all the families of the earth, joining in with Christ, singing with Christ. 
See, this is really the key. Our worship is offered to God through Christ. That's what this indicates. We are included in Christ's holy humanity, and we participate in His liturgical self-offering to the Father. Hebrews 7.25 says, He saves those who draw near to God through Him. That drawing near, that's technical language for worship. It describes an act of worship. As our priest, He leads us in worship. We worship God through Him. Not in our own right, but through Him. This is just a constant theme throughout the New Testament Scriptures. In Romans 1, Paul says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. He doesn't offer thanks to God on His own. He offers thanks through Christ. In Romans 16.27, he says to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ be the glory forever. In Ephesians 2.18, he says, for through Christ we both have access in one spirit to the Father. In Colossians 3.17, he says, giving thanks through Christ to God the Father. In 1 Peter 2.5, it describes the church offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Again and again, you see this. Worship is through Jesus Christ. Hebrews 8 perhaps spells it out more fully than anywhere else in the Scriptures. Hebrews 8 tells us that Christ is our great high priest who has taken His seat at the throne of the majesty in heaven where He serves as a minister, or actually the word could be better translated, a liturgist, where He serves as our liturgist in the sanctuary. This is the point that is made at the beginning of Hebrews 8. Christ has opened up the way into the Father's presence. He leads us to the very throne of God. And so in worship, we share in His ascent. Our worship and our prayer ascends to the Father within the worship and prayer that Christ Himself offers unceasingly to His Father. Our worship is enfolded into His and included in His. This is what it means to worship through Christ Jesus, for Him to be our liturgist in the sanctuary. In worship, Christ lifts us up to the heavenly sanctuary. In Him, we ascend into the heavens to commune with the Father in Him and through Him. He leads us into the very presence of God. And so our worship is offered to God through Him. When we go to church, when we gather as the church in Christ, We go to heaven. We are gathered into heaven in the true holy place where Christ is a minister and a liturgist on our behalf where He leads our worship. Hebrews 13, 15 spells this out further. There we read that through Him, again, through Christ, you see that theme, through Him we offer a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name. Hebrews 13 shows us that when we sing songs of thanks, these songs of thanksgiving are a sacrifice to God. And they are a sacrifice offered through Christ who leads us in this sacrificial offering, joining our sacrifices of praise to His own. See, the ascension ministry of Jesus is crucial. We can't just focus on what Jesus did in the past. We need to grasp His present ministry on our behalf as well. As the one who perfects our worship, the one who presents our worship to the Father, who offers it to the Father, joined with His own worship. 
He enables our worship. He leads our worship. He ushers us into God's presence. He takes our imperfect worship and perfects it as He offers it to the Father on our behalf. He is our way to the Father. And so we follow Him into the Father's presence. He leads the way and shows us the way. And because we are in union with Him, His worship is our worship. We come in and through Him into the Father's presence. In Him and through Him, we enter into the Father's presence. We come clothed in Him. He's our priestly vestments. Through Him we have access. And again, He bears up our weak and imperfect offerings of worship and makes them one with His own perfect offering of praise. This is why our worship is acceptable. There's only one true worshiper, Jesus Himself. The real agent of all true worship is Jesus Christ. He's the true worshiper. And we only become worshipers in Him. Jesus does not stand by and observe our worship. He is the one leading our worship, standing in our midst, presenting our worship to the Father in Himself. I really think this whole theme reaches its climax in Hebrews 10 in the passage that we read this evening where the writer of Hebrews urges us as the church to take advantage of our new covenant privilege of access. This privilege of access we have in Christ Jesus where we can come into the very presence of God. Old covenant saints couldn't do that. They were excluded. There were veils and barriers separating them from the very presence of God. But now Christ includes us. He has opened up a new and living way into the heavenly most holy place. And so we may draw near to God with boldness and with assurance by His blood and through the torn curtain that is His flesh. Because of His past work and His present work, we can enter in. Sadly, in the Middle Ages, the church forgot this. The the church neglected this theme of the ongoing human priesthood of Jesus. And so public worship ceased to be understood as a participation in and through Christ's own worship of the Father. And other mediators, therefore, were looked to to fill that void. And so you had what was called the cult of the saints and the cult of the Virgin Mary arising to take the place of this lost priesthood of Christ. The church was cast back upon herself and upon her own resources to create a priesthood that would make her worship acceptable to God. Worship became a a kind of do-it-yourself project, which of course failed. It's one of the great things about the Reformation in the 16th century. The Reformers recovered the priesthood of Christ, and thus they recovered the priesthood of the whole church, not as a substitute for Christ's priesthood, but as a priesthood found within Christ's priesthood, as the church shares in Christ's priesthood, as He makes us all priests in union with Himself. John Calvin even emphasized that our response to all God has done for us in Christ is a response made in Christ. Indeed, Christ is not only God's gift to us, Christ is our returning gift to God. Again, it's the one who presents Himself to the Father in our place and on our behalf. Jesus brings God to man and He brings man to God. He brings God's Word down from heaven to us in Himself, and He lifts our worship up to heaven in Himself as well. 
And so Jesus is indeed our mediator. There is one mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our bridge. He is our ladder. He is our stairway. He moves from God to man, from heaven downward to earth. And he also moves from man up to God. From earth, he takes us upward to heaven. Jesus is the downward movement of God's love and grace. And he is the upward movement of our response and our faith. In worship, Christ comes to where we are to take us to where he is. He brings us before the throne in heaven, before the throne of grace, as Hebrews 4 says. He brings us to glory to the place where the grace and glory of God are revealed. He says, as Hebrews 2 says, quoting another Old Testament text, he says, Father, here I am and the children you have given me. He presents us to his Father in union with himself. And so what does all of this mean? How does all of this work itself out? Again, in Hebrews 2, Jesus says, I will sing praise to you. But Jesus doesn't want to sing a solo. His singing enables and empowers our singing as we join our voices to His. Again, John Calvin said, Christ is the chief conductor of our hymns. He calls us to join in His songs of praise. Psalm 22 is a psalm that if you look at the heading, it's actually addressed to the choir master. Jesus is the choir master and cantor of God's church. He is the one conducting the choir and leading us in song. As our ascended high priest in our humanity, this is how he continues his ministry. He gives us access to the Father. He, he makes his access to the Father our access to the Father. Just as his death is our death and his life is now our life and his ascension becomes our ascension, so his worship becomes our worship. We don't worship God simply because of what Christ has done. No, we worship God through what Christ has done and is doing. Our worship is His worship, and His worship is our worship. His communion with the Father is now our communion with the Father. He shares Himself with us. He shares His priesthood with us. This is how the church father Ambrose put it, capturing this really well, I think. Christ is our mouth by which we speak to the Father. Christ is our eye by which we see the Father. Christ is our right hand by which we offer ourselves to the Father. But for His intercession, neither we nor any saints could have any communion with God. See, we know our worship is imperfect. So what's our hope? Our hope is that Christ will perfect our worship as He presents it to the Father. He gathers up our imperfect expressions of praise and He perfects them in Himself. Christ leads us in singing. What's that mean? Well, you might sing off-key, but Jesus' voice covers yours. He hits every note perfectly. When you bring to... Whenever, whenever you... What we bring to God in faith, when we sing to God in faith, whatever gifts we bring to God in faith in our worship, we are really holding up Jesus to the Father. Saying, here's our worship, accept it through Jesus. And we know that our worship will be accepted for His sake. Christ's role in worship is the key. Seeing Christ's role in our worship. He is always in our midst. 
when we gather, taking our place, taking us up into himself, incorporating our varying expressions of worship into his own perfect offering of praise to his Father. We sing because he first sang for us. He is the singing Savior. And we are to join with Him as we follow His model and blend our voices with His. We sing to God, but it is His voice that comes before the throne. It is His voice that pleases the Father's ears. But I want you to understand this fact that Christ presents His worship on our behalf does not mean we should slack off in worship. doesn't mean we should be sloppy or lackadaisical in our own acts of worship. Just the opposite, in fact. If Christ is leading us in worship, surely, this, surely we should follow Him in singing with zeal. Zeal that reflects His own zeal for God. His own zeal for His Father's house. Christ sings His heart out in praise to the Father. Shame on us! If we are in His choir, but refuse to put any effort into our singing as well. The fact that Christ is leading us in song is the highest possible incentive to sing ourselves, to sing our hearts out, even as Christ sings His heart out before the Father. Again, if Christ is conducting our song, as Calvin says, how dare we not sing out? How dare we not follow His lead? No, we can't see Christ with our eyes. We can't hear His voice with our ears. But we know He is with us. We know the ascended Christ is with us. And this makes all the difference in how we worship. This is how one scholar puts it. I'll leave you with this. We need to remind ourselves over and over that the focus of Sunday worship must be upon the living Christ among us. In truth, if Christ were bodily present and we could see Him with more than our soul's eyes, all our worship would become intentional. If Christ stood on our platforms, we would bend our knees without asking. If He stretched out His hands and we saw the wounds, our hearts would break. We would confess our sins and weep over our shortcomings. If we could hear His voice leading the hymns, we too would sing heartily. The words would take on meaning. The Bible reading would be lively. Meaning would pierce to the marrow of our souls. If Christ walked our aisles, we would hasten to make amends with that brother or sister to whom we have not spoken. If we knew Christ would attend our church Sunday after Sunday, the front pews would fill fastest, believers would arrive early, offering plates would be laden with sacrificial but gladsome gifts, prayers would concentrate our attention. Yet the startling truth is, that Christ is present through His Holy Spirit in our churches. It is we who must develop eyes to see and ears to hear Him. Why does the ascension matter? The ascension is the key to many things. In many ways, it's the capstone in many ways of Christ's story. But the ascension matters because it shows us what worship is. That worship is the gift of participating through the Spirit in the Son's liturgy before the Father. Worship is the gift of offering our sacrifice of praise, however imperfect, in union with Christ's perfect self-offering. We know when we gather, Christ is in our midst. He is with us to lift us up to heaven, to bring us before the Father as He leads us in praise. 
Christ is present, speaking God's truth to us and carrying our songs and our prayers up to the Father. This is the gift of worship. This is the gift of the ascended Christ. He is the great ascended high priest who by his once and for all offering of himself for us on the cross now leads us continually into the most holy place of heaven that we might know God and that we might live in his glory, that we might give thanks to him through our glorious Savior. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for Christ. We thank you for his ascension, opening the way into heaven for us. Because he has entered into heaven on our behalf to make intercession for us, we can enter in as well. We can know you and know your glory and live in your glory. May we do this by your grace. May we do this in such a way that your glory shines through us into the world around us. May we do so in a way that points everyone around us to the heavens, to the ascended Christ, where Christ reigns as king from on high, where he is seated as our great high priest. This we pray in his name. Amen.